I start caring about these people. Mm-hmm. So we start running evangelist campaigns. They're excited. They're bringing the people to church. We're baptizing people. Wow. So, I mean, this thing is changing my life. Yes. Okay. okay. So the call mm-hmm. is being affirmed. Not that God wasn't with me in Mississippi when we baptized those three people, but I'm seeing God show himself yeah. in a mighty way. Welcome back to Advent Next, a theological podcast curated for curious faith discussions. We are back today with Dr. Carlton Bird, the senior pastor at Oakwood University in Huntsville, Alabama. Today is part two of our discussion where we address how to identify whether or not God has called you to ministry and what confirmations of his calling look like along the way. This episode was sponsored by the Adventist Learning Community, a platform that offers free online courses and resources relevant to you. If you'd like to listen to some of our previous episodes related to faith and theology, or catch some behind the scenes, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Advent Next. My co-host today is once again, Michelle Odinma. You can follow her at the handle Michelle Odinma Music. As always, I'm your host, Kendra Arsenal, and this is Advent Next. So we've talked about evangelism and, you know, doing the mission, you put on the programs, you do all this. And then what about retention? Because that's been a big issue uh, for a lot of people, for the North American Division pastors. How do you maintain or keep all of those people who stood up and came forward to make commitments? I think the same emphasis that we have on recruitment, Mm -hmm. we must have on retention. Mm -hmm. So the same level of intentionality with resources, Mm -hmm. money, people, and the level of engagement, we have to do that with retention. And that requires work. Yeah, That requires when the evangelists and the, the Bible workers and the team are gone, that the church has to engage in that same level of of commitment that was given to recruitment with retention. So with that, that means visitation has to continue. Mm. Programming has to continue. Mm -hmm. And it has to continue with the level of excellence that preceded it. Excellence. Mm -hmm. Okay, It, it has to. So the same way we were intentional about children's ministries during the public evangelistic campaign, yeah, we have to be intentional about that post the campaign. Yeah. Uh the visitation as I said, the music mm. as I said, yeah. the technology. Mm. Right. And we can't be afraid to resource these things. Right. Mm-hmm. What were those three things that you mentioned that we need to have like uh this you know people need to want to come Oh, oh okay. Yeah. So I was reading a book mm-hmm. and um if worship, you know, we, we talk about post yeah. The campaign. Sure. If worship is to contribute to the growth of your church, three things must be true. Number one, members have to want to attend. Yes. If members don't want to be there, why would anyone else? Mm-hmm. And, and for me, the litmus test for me has always been my family. Mm-hmm. If my wife, if our kids, if they don't want to be there, then <laughs> probably yeah. the members don't want to be You follow what I'm saying? Yes. I mean, we can, we can do technology. We can do... Uh, all different things. Uh, we, we can pass out handbills, what we used to do years ago, or flyers about our church and whatnot. But, but if your people don't want to be there, right. why would anyone else? Yeah. Yeah. Number two, your members have to be proud to invite guests. Yeah. Okay, so members have to want to attend, and then members have to want to invite others yeah. 
to attend. Uh, So word of mouth, you know, when we move to a city, yeah, we can go online and we look at the area. We can look at school districts. We can look at houses, you know, with with real estate books or online catalogs or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But the greatest impact on where we live when we move to a city is a word of mouth testimony. Mm. Yeah. If we know someone in that city and they tell us this is a good area or this is a good house, we're going to weigh that more heavily. So the same is true with church. Yeah. If if members are proud to invite their friends, you've got to come to my church. You've got to hear my pastor, hear our music, see our ministry offerings. That is going to weigh more heavily yeah. than if, if someone just reads about it. So number one, members have to want to attend. Number two, they have to be proud to invite guests. And, and so often in our churches, mm-hmm. yeah, don't come this week, this yeah. one's speaking. Don't come this week, this one's singing. Our, oh, I don't want you to come. No, every time <laughs> the doors open, yeah. it has to be such. So to the original question, how do we retain people? The same way we were intentional about recruiting people. Yeah. We have to have that with the retention of people. Mm, yeah. Okay. And then thirdly, whoever attends is eager to return. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so those three things I think are critical, and that's in my book. Those three things are critical in terms of the retention of people. So after the same way we were like, you've got to come, members are excited about coming to the public evangelistic campaign. Then that same way, they're excited about coming to church. Then the same way they were willing to invite people to come to the campaign, they're willing to invite people to come to church. And then whoever comes is eager to return. And so the same intentionality that was placed earlier has to be placed post. And I think that if that doesn't happen, it's almost like false advertising. It is. Right? It's like switch and bait. Exactly. It's like, oh, yeah, bait and we're switch. so excited. Switch. We're, switch we're so excited. And yeah. And then they start attending and it's like, right. what happened to all the energy? Right. So, so we, we, we sang in the public campaign all these great praise courses and, yeah. and songs. And then we get in church. Well, we don't do that anymore. That was for that. No. Yeah. Mm. This... Is who we are. Yes. You know, any business model will tell you what got you growth is -hmm. what you need to continue doing. Exactly. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Okay. Tell me a little bit about like your personal journey with Christ. So as I share with you, um, fifth generation, seven Adventists, paternally and maternally. So I know the church, you know, I, I grew up in the church and that's not a bad thing. So I don't have a testimony that I was out there and. Mm. You know, then I came back. That's important. Right. I've never drunk in my life. I've, I've never smoked in my life. Yeah. I've never done drugs in my life. I got married, then I had kids. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. And, 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 and some, you know, and some people say, well, you're, you're just a white collar Adventist. Well, I thank God for my journey. Amen. And the same way I am appreciative of someone else's testimony yeah. that may not be my testimony or their journey is different. I praise God. You know, if God spoke to somebody who had been involved in certain things and then they felt the voice of God, I celebrate that. Mm-hmm. And, and by the same token, in re, you know, being <laughs> reciprocal here, yeah. I want someone to celebrate the journey yeah. that I had God-fearing parents. Yes. They brought me up the way they did. And, and I praise God I'm here. Yeah. Okay, but, but I still had my experience, my encounter with the Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. But I grew up. PK, my father's a pastor, a mother, a church school educator. I never forget a pastor, not my father, but a pastor said to me, if you want to go in ministry, run as far away from it as you can. Okay. And if the Lord calls you back to it, you'll know 
That's where you that it was the Lord, right? Yeah. So I double majored in theology, a Bachelor of Arts in theology, and I have a Bachelor of Science in business management with an emphasis in accounting. Uh, one summer, made great money. I worked for the ITT uh, life insurance company, uh, Hartford, Connecticut, where all the insurance companies are, mm-hmm. made great money. Uh, but it wasn't what God had called me to do. Mm-hmm. Ministry and, and dealing with people mm-hmm. was what the Lord had called me to do. Mm-hmm. And so I was... How did you come to that? Like, what did that look like internally? Because how did God speak to you saying, this is not for you, this is not what you were built to do? Because I was happy, but I was not as happy. Not fulfilled. Yeah. You know, I, I, but not as happy. Mm-hmm. You know, I was happy, but not as happy. I was born to do what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. So um, when I got back my senior year at Oakwood, you know, and that was my journey to go this way. Yeah. I was like, mm-mm. I'm doing ministry. I'm going to do ministry. Now, I thought that I was going to take the financial or treasury track. Mm. Okay. Now, before I finished Smokewood, I had offers. uh, I never forget the Ohio State University offered me a full uh, fellowship Mm. to get my MBA. Mm. They were going to pay me a stipend, pay my education. You know, I had people telling me, oh, you need to do that. Get that done. You'll be fine, you know. I didn't feel that's what the Lord was calling me to. But I thought I was going to go the financial way. Specifically, I thought I was going to be work in conference treasury. And I thought that my contribution, because I had a love for evangelism, and that's what I knew growing up, I felt we needed more people on the financial side of church ministry. Treasurers that understood treasury, but also understood treasury exists to support the ministry, the ministry and, the, and the pursuit of mission. Okay. So I felt I could pastor a little while, Ooh, yeah. but I would eventually go through the treasury route yeah. and I would be of support. And, and that's how I felt I was going to go. Yeah. How did that change? Yeah. That changed. Be, okay. And, and with that, okay. So that went to Mississippi. I shared that story. Yeah. So that evangelism started getting in my bones. Mm-hmm. Then I pastored in a place, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, ran a tent crusade, uh, renovated the church. I was like, man, this is getting my bones. Mm-hmm. And, and the Lord was blessing with a measure of success. And, and we deem success as numeric success. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, then I got to Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. And in Nashville, Tennessee, still thinking in my mind, I'm on this business track. I enrolled at Tennessee State University to get my MBA. Mm. Okay, so I enrolled. I'm going to get my MBA because my track is going. I'm up get. Pa- I'm a pastor, get ordained, and then I'm going this direction. In Nashville, my life changed. Mm. Okay, um, in Nashville, I was asked to pastor a church there that was founded as a result of a evangelistic series. So I was the actual first pastor. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you talked about retention and whatnot. This is kind of yeah. how that ties in. So at the time, the conference evangelist. And the team of the conference evangelism team, they came, ran a meeting, uh, had a series of campaigns, and baptized like 150 people, mm-hmm. okay? Um, so the conference president says to me, we're going to move you from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, to Nashville, Tennessee to be the first pastor here. Mm-hmm. He knew my work ethic and whatnot, and so he's like, we need you to come. So I was like, okay. i never forget when I got there. He handed me the roster of the church, mm-hmm. And he was like, don't lose these people. 
Okay. Oh right now I'm young fresh, now. I'm under fresh. 30. Like, don't lose these people. Yeah. So when the evangelist left, the entire team left. It was just mm-hmm. you. Just me. Mm-hmm. So I have this roster. Don't lose these people. Don't lose these people. <laughs> yeah. And at the time, I'm not ordained yet. So I'm thinking oh, that yeah. a part of whether or not I get ordained and that track is going to be based on how well I do yeah. here. So I'm like, man, I can't lose these people. Mm-hmm. So there was no church building. Mm. We're work because it's a new congregation. Right. So we're worshiping in a school. Okay. Okay. And school auditorium is not the best looking because, you know, we have to, you know, go where we can afford. Yeah, and, and you need to understand now, not only the human resources gone, mm. but the economic resources <laughs> for this church are gone. Mm. Okay. So he gives me the roster. And so I'm like, look, I got to go visit these people. Yeah. And I have to visit these people weekly in order to keep these people because they don't know me. Yeah. So I have to keep these people. So I start visiting them. So I have the roster and I'm looking at the roster and the roster says 125 Main Street, 127 Main Street, 129 Main Street. Okay. So I'm thinking these are all single dwelling places, homes or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Little did I know that these were all apartment units in public housing complexes. Mm. Okay. So these are all public housing complexes and in, in, in city project areas. Mm. So most of the people there are from very, very humble backgrounds. Yeah. So many of the persons don't have cars mm. and they don't have the means. You know, they, they've heard this message. They're excited. Many of them are still smoking. Many of them are still drinking because all this is very, very new to them. Yeah. But to the best they knew how, yeah. they had joined this church, accepted Christ, and here I am, white collar Adventist, yeah. visiting all these people, and God changed my life. Mm. And He changed my life, and He helped me understand that the same blood of Jesus yeah. that was flowing in my veins—that's right—is the same blood of Jesus that was flowing in these individuals' veins. Yes. And though their background may not have been mine, mm-hmm. they still were children of the Most High God. That's right. God changed my life, and I went from being a bougie Adventist. Mm. Mm. You know, a white collar Adventist. Mm -hmm. I went from religion Mm. to a relationship. Amen. And I started falling in love with those people. And I was married at the time. My wife, we loved the people. You know, we had to keep the people. We would visit them, take them to doctor's appointments, take them groceries. I mean, and just we fell in love. I'm talking about how God will change you and change your mindset. So all of a sudden now, I'm still in MBA school while I'm pastoring. Okay. Mm But I'm loving on these people and, and God is moving. And so I started conducting evangelistic series mm. and I'm looking up. God is blessing mm. and God starts blessing when we're running three campaigns a year and we're baptizing by God's grace over 100 people annually. Wow. The Lord, he's doing some mighty things here and, right. and he's changing me in this process. Right. Well, I'm not looking at people. I'm not looking at the organization the same. Because I care about these people. Yes. You know, and, and I'm not mad at the organization because people who are in leadership, they are who they are. I'm not mad at them. They're who they are. But I start caring about these people. Mm-hmm. And so we start running evangelistic campaigns. They're excited. They're bringing the people to church. We're baptizing people. 
We begin a building program and God blesses us to build from the ground up Mm. a brand spanking new church building. Wow. Wow. That's fantastic. Right? So, I mean, this thing is changing my life. Yes. Okay. Okay? So the call Mm -hmm. is being affirmed. That's right. Okay. Now, not that God wasn't with me in Mississippi when we baptized those three people. Not that God wasn't with us when we were in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and we renovated the church and we were baptizing people. But I'm seeing God show himself in a mighty way. That's right. All right. So we're there. The Lord is blessed. In the four years that we're there, 300 people get baptized. We build a church. I get an invitation under 30 years old to pastor in Houston, Texas at the mother church there. So I'm going there. You know, building is not what it should be. Uh, The attendance, you know, mother church is not what it should be. Yeah. Um, like I'll go big city. I'm looking at potential mother church. So I get there and I'm like, we're going to change up on the music. We're going to become more secret sensitive. I remember taking the church board. We said, we're going to have a church board meeting at at an evangelical church that is not necessarily within our faith. Mm. Uh, and, and you all probably know the church. It's the Lakewood Church mm-hmm. uh, with Joe Osteen. And I said, we're not going for doctrine, but I want us to have board meeting there because we're going to figure out how is it that he, this, this church has 25,000 people right, yeah. coming on a weekly basis? Yeah. Right. We don't know what they're preaching until we right. get in there, but the fact is right. 25,000 people are okay. coming. Exactly. Yeah. Okay? In the Seventh-day Adventist church, we don't have those kind of numbers yeah. except the general conference in session. Right. <laughs> Yeah. You know what I'm saying? The world. So, so we need to ask ourselves, what are they doing yeah. that is, I say, so I'm not being a heretic. We're going to find out what they're doing because if we match our message with some of their methods, sure. I just believe the Lord is going to bless in a mighty way. We went and the church, because sometimes you can show people better than you can tell them. Yes. And so we went, everyone went from the time we drove up on the parking lot to the time we went to the service, you could see a centrality of focus. Mm-hmm. So when we're walking in, even the Houston Police Department, they're helping us park. You know, it's almost like, welcome to Lakewood. We're glad you're here. It's not, park here and don't move your car there. And you, no. Mm. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Pastor Joel is happy that you're here. I'm like, okay. Okay. It's yeah. pretty nice, mm-hmm. all right? Yeah. We get to the doors. The greeter's there. We're glad you're here. And you know it's genuine. It's authentic. Yeah. You know, Pastor Joel is happy that you're here. You're in for a powerful experience today. Mm. We walk in the church doors. The ushers are there. Come on to your seat. And whatever they're singing for praise and worship, mm. the ushers are singing it as they're inviting you to a seat. Mm. So it's not like I wish those people would hurry up and sit down. It's too loud. It's too long. Everybody is a right. part of this worship experience. Yeah. We sit there. I'm looking at the technology. I'm looking at the music, the message, very simplistic, very practical, and we leave. So after church is over, we have dinner at our church, and then we say, let's discuss this. Yeah. And so we just start discussing some things that we can begin to implement. Mm. Fast forward, God blesses. Four and a half years, three years, I'm sorry, three years after pastoring there. 500 people are baptized. Wow. Amen. So then after that, again, God is affirming the calling. That's so important because there's people who are listening right now who are thinking, am I called to ministry and how do I know if God is calling me? And you're basically saying, look for the signs of God affirming you in your life. He's affirming, right. So, So remember now, the affirmation was received when I had those two people. Yeah. And three people were baptized. Then you go from there. You go from to Tuscaloosa. Then you go to Nashville and you see what God is doing. I mean, we built a church mm. 
where our population was primarily from humble backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay? Then we go to Houston. In three years, 500 people are baptized. Wow. Then from there, I get the call to go to Atlanta, Berean. Okay, can I a question real quick? So you're making a, a number of church transitions, and I think one of my questions is, how do you deal with like member um, pushback? Because uh, did any of that happen? Because a lot of people will yeah. move to a church. Yeah, and- you, you, you have, you have mer- particularly though, I praise God for his favor. Yeah. And favor is not fair. Yeah. But I praise God for favor, okay? Yeah. And um, you, you have pushback, but no one is going to argue when people give their lives to Christ. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. No no one, and I, I'm, I'm very passionate about evangelism and Adventist education. Yes. So those older members that are sitting there like, this guy's bringing the music right, but, but. He's doing right. Doing some things that they're, he's doing. They're what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's doing what the Adventists are, and they're seeing yeah. results. The results. Yes. Okay. And and there's some unconventional things. I mean, I'm inviting non-Adventist musical artists mm. in the church, and yeah, you know, but they're seeing. Oh, this this okay. is working. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So from there, from Houston, I get the call to become the senior pastor of the Atlanta Berean Church. Now, the Atlanta Berean Church for North America is our largest Seventh-day Adventist church that is not connected to an institution. Mm. So there's no college, no hospital, no boarding academy. It's just a standalone church. At the time, I had just turned 34 years old. Mm. So there was a lot of, you know, he's going, you know, know, he's young. And so you got to deal with that. The challenge that some of my colleagues were ha- having. Yeah. Why him, not me? Mm. Okay. And so I, I went in there and, and I did what got me there. Yeah. We're going to win souls for Christ. Amen. And uh, the Lord blessed. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lord blessed. I mean, in the five and a half years I was there, 1,800 people got baptized. Wow. 1,800. Now, the church was already large. Yeah. yeah. But 1,800 people got baptized. We went yeah. from one service to multiple services. Yeah. yeah. And that second service, it was almost like we shut down. God was awesome and is awesome. Mm. The city, you, you couldn't get through there. We had to mm. hire Atlanta police mm. officers to, to do parking. And yeah. Yeah. the Lord blessed us. We got a $5.2 million grant from United States Department of Housing and Urban Development wow. to build a 50 apartment senior citizen complex. Amen. We had someone donate to us. They saw what we were doing. Wow. Yeah. They had someone someone donated an apartment complex unit, eight units wow. to us. We turned into a women's shelter. Mm. Our old church that sat across the street, we were able to buy back. Wow. We turned that into a community center where we opened a barbershop. Wow. A beauty salon, uh, a clothes closet and food pantry. Yeah. I mean, he was doing some all God was doing some awesome things. Again, affirming yes. the call. Yes. And so when when people are saying to your question about did you have opposition? Yeah, you have opposition. Mm-hmm. But stay focused. Right. The Lord was moving. Um, then the brethren from North America laid hands on me and said, We want to try something different. Where the media ministry, Breath of Life, which is akin to it is written, uh, Faithful Today, Voice of Prophecy, whatnot. We want you to do that in addition to pastoring the church. Mm. So I said, okay. Try it out. So, so our our television ministry, Breath of Life, that arm came aboard. And so we were able to broadcast yeah. 
yeah. from a local church. Yeah. Uh, and then the call came to go to Oakwood. Mm-hmm. And, and I felt that in going to Oakwood, you know, what the Lord had blessed us with in ministry, we could model at Oakwood and young people would be able to experience and be a part of it. Yeah. And then they would be able to go out and, do and model it when they left. The Lord is yeah. blessed. Uh, Can I, I oh, okay. ask? Um, so, you know, all of these things that happened, the the shelter and these, I think my question is, how did you make sure that this would continue after you left, right? That right. you weren't the, the vehicle driving everything so that you disappeared and then everything falls on its face. Well, what the reality you- is you try to put things and infrastructure in place. Okay. But as you know, in this church, it's a movement. Yeah. So the reality is, you know, you don't want to be accused of meddling and whatnot. When you leave... You have to leave. Yeah. Mm. Did that when you leave? No, it, you know, God bless good successor. So the building that was across the street, Mm -hmm. uh, that is still there. Yeah. Uh, The senior citizens apartment complex, you know, that's there. Okay. Uh, You know, the church is is still there, you know, so I praise God for that. Yeah. Okay. Um, Got to Oakwood. Uh, Lord has blessed in the eight years I've been there, over 500 people have been baptized in an, in an institutional church setting. Yeah. Uh, we are finishing up. We, we, God blessed us to build uh, our K to eight, refurbish our elementary school, build the middle school with a new gym, mm. cafeteria, middle school classrooms. And in the spring of 2020, the new 9 through 12 high school building will be done. Mm. Uh, God bless us to build a new family life center with gym. Mm. In there, we have a barbershop. We have a health food store. We have a medical clinic. Wow. Just got the contract for all the veterans of North Alabama where their annual physicals take place in our clinic. Wow. Mm. And these are residual income right. revenue generating right. entities that help fund ministry, yeah. sure. uh, clothing ministry, food ministry, I praise God Mm. for being a part of what he's doing because the reality is he could use somebody else. Yes. You know, he could use somebody else. And and so I'm excited. So all of these things have contributed to that call. And I'm so grateful uh, to be a part. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say? So you had a huge influx, you know, in Atlanta, the 1800 Mm. that that added, you know, so what, what would you recommend as far as, churches who are looking to grow, should they, when their facilities are no longer able to house maybe the growth that they're having, should they invest that in creating a new church plant in the community, maybe targeting a new demographic, or should they focus maybe on expanding that that same church? Good, good question. So mm-hmm. in different times of my career, I would answer that question in a different way. Okay. So there was a part of me that used to say, you know, start a new church because the DNA of that church mm-hmm can be, you know, a certain thing. And, and there's still merit in that. The flip side of that is you have to have the resources to support that. I think the day is over where a new church plant that people are going to be within this society, North American society, that we're going to be in a storefront, if you will. Mm. And there is not a defined period of time you're going to be in there. You know, I, I think, you know, if we're going to start a new fellowship, a new church, a new ministry, I think the resources have to be in place mm. to support that. I think gone are the days we say, we're just going to start a church. We're going to have an evangelist come in. We're going to plant a church. We're going to start everyone, all the resources leave, human and economic. Mm-hmm. And then you're not there to keep that going. Yeah. When, when you talk about a church planting, you talk about planting it right, there must be a commitment yes. beyond mm-hmm. the initial evangelistic initiative Mm -hmm. to keep that thing going. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. if we're going to do it right. Mm-hmm. If not, it's going to continue to be a struggle. Mm-hmm. So I, now I'm at the point. Well, let's 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 go to multiple. Let's go to multiple worship experiences, mm-hmm. you know, or let's try the campus approach, mm-hmm. where where you're still one church, but you may have different campuses, because someone has to own that new group. Yeah, yeah. With people and finances, mm-hmm. so either you know, I'm now. Let's look at the multiple service approach. Or let's look at the campus approach. Mm. But somebody has to own those new members. It can't be a mindset, oh, we just baptized 50 people. They're out on their own now. No. You got to still own that group. Has to be a discipleship process. Yeah. Right. Through it. Right. And I think sometimes, too, maybe we have too big of an idea of what church is. Like, how do we scale down for for the resources? Is there a place for, like, say there are 50 new members and the church is growing and Mm -hmm. maybe the facilities aren't housing and we do want to see if we can plan a new church. Is there merit and maybe not uh, be more simple, having more of a a simple church rather than something that was more traditional? Yeah, I I think there's merit for that, yes. I also think, and I'll be honest, Kendra, you know, (laughs) so I'm going to be honest, transparent. Yeah. I think we have to have a restructuring of our resources. Okay. I'm not saying this at a conference level or a union level or division level or a general conference level. I'm not saying it's not important, but this over here may be more important. Yeah. 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 And if you have strong churches, you're going to have a strong conference. Mm. Yeah. If you have a strong conferences, you're going to have a strong union. Mm. If you have strong unions, you're going to have a strong division. If you have strong divisions, you're going to have a strong general conference. Mm. Yeah. But it starts... At the church level. That's the most important level of this denomination, the local church. Yeah. How do you, so for ministers coming up, they may see what's going on and they're like, oh, I want to be a part of that. How do you encourage them to take what they've seen, take what they've learned and heard and go do it on their own instead of joining what's already happening? Go make it instead of be a part of it. Exactly. You got to encourage them. And you have, you have to encourage them. You have to let them know, yes, you can. Yeah. You can do this. Uh, but that's becoming hard today. Yeah. Because a lot of pastors are like, look, I I want to be a part. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm hearing it and I'm like, well, let me go to. I, I, I want to be a part of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You got to encourage them. Yeah. But, I, but I think we have to, we have to identify ways mm. and identify resources where people won't fail yeah, and where they want to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that yeah. takes vision, mm-hmm. not just seeing what is, but what can be. Yeah. Sure. And I think we have to identify just the same way we use in the local church with our members, spiritual gifts. I think with our employees, we have to understand spiritual gifts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think we have to be transparent with our employees to help them understand this is your giftedness. This is your giftedness. Mm-hmm. And we want to do our best to get everyone to operate in their giftedness. Mm-hmm. It's because, just because this is your gift and this is other person's gift does not mean this gift is way is heavily weighted more than, that. than this gift. Yeah. Yeah. And it's okay if we identify certain employees with certain gifts to do certain things. Yeah. That yeah. is not Favoritism. a discredit. Right. Yeah. That's not a discredit mm. to you. And I, I think we need to be more transparent. Yeah. Or realistic yeah. and humble. We do. We, we do. <laughs> and, 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 and with personnel placement yeah. from administrative levels to local church levels, yeah. 
we need people just like in the local church to operate in their giftedness. Right. It sounds like you've been, have the pioneer spirit, you know, Uh-oh. that you're ready to take on something where, that looks like it's nothing, but God has given you a vision to see what it could be right. rather than what it is. That's right. What would you give advice to other pioneers? Because um, I see like this has been a, a very long journey to getting to where you're at. So people who have that visionary spirit, who are willing to, to start in humble beginnings, what are some of the challenges and what's some of the advice that you would recommend giving them? You gotta, first of all, you got to keep, keep pressing. Hmm. You got to keep plowing. Um, you know, the expression, nothing good comes easy. You know, because yeah. some people think, oh, Carlton Burr's the golden child. What? They have no clue yeah. what a day for me entails, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I'm like that, almost like a duck. I know that's bad. But, <laughs> but you see now, but those feet mm-hmm. are paddling under that water. Yeah. So like now, you know, we're here, we're talking, we're doing this podcast, but I'm planning for December of 2020. Mm-hmm. I'm looking ahead to December of 2021. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There, there are some things uh, that are in an incubator, if you will. Mm-hmm. And they hatch later on. Mm. But they got to get in the incubator. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a process. But you, you got to keep paddling mm. underneath. For what, Before we go, one last question. Okay. Is what has been the biggest Challenge, You know, I think everyone has kind of a, a Jacob's thigh, you know, that part of them that's been crippled and that they now lean upon God that much more heavily. What has been the biggest challenge in your life and your career that you that keeps you leaning upon the Lord? Being misunderstood. Mm. Because mm. a lot of times people project yeah. what they think mm-hmm. onto you thinking that's how you think. Mm. Right. It's like, no. Uh. So far. From- <laughs> yes. It's, 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 um, all I want to do is build a kingdom. Yeah. yeah. But a lot of times it's misunderstood. Mm-hmm. But you got to keep pressing on. Mm-hmm. You know, I tell myself all the time, the higher the level, the higher the devil. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. But being misunderstood. And so I can't get muddy in that. Yeah. I got to keep pressing on. Sure. Thanks so much for listening in. We hope you were inspired with the message. Stay tuned for next week, where we talk with Dr. Nicholas Miller, who has a background in law and a PhD in religion, as we discuss how to navigate the sticky world of faith and politics. If you have suggestions for future episodes, please leave us a comment below. Once again, we'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Carlton Bird, and the Adventist Learning Community for making this program possible. If you want to keep up to date with our latest thoughts and episodes, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at the handle Advent Next. See you next week.